0: Of the Lord. Could you just pray over our nation? Just lift your hand and just pray, just a quick prayer over our nation. Just pray. Father, right now, we call upon you for America. Lord, we're not talking about revival because we need another series of meetings. We're talking about a a sweeping move of the Spirit across our nation. We need you to show up, God. We call upon you. You said. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their ways, wicked ways, then you would hear. We would hear from heaven. We're look forward to hearing from heaven today, God. You'd forgive us our sins and heal our land. That's our prayer. That's our. We're crying out to you. We're calling out to you. If you did it before and first. And the second great awakening, you can do it again, Lord. Some say they were the third great awakening. But, Lord, if there was a day we needed awakening, it is today. I pray, God, you'd show up today. Open our hearts. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, would you help me give the Lord a praise offering? Come on, before we're seated, give him an offering of praise. Give him a clap offering and a praise offering. He's worthy. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Tori and team. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Miss Chrissy and Taylor are on vacation, Uh, a little breakaway going to the Ark over in Kentucky, Cincinnati, somewhere over there in Kentucky, I believe. There's a small boat floating around. We could have used it this week over here. My goodness, did we have some rain. Lots of minister friends that are here. If you're here, if you're a minister, would you just stand? I know the cars are here and this family. Yes, absolutely. God, come on, welcome them. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. Praise God. We love you. We so appreciate you being with us today. I know we put on Facebook and Pastor Jason put on Facebook. I call him Pastor, but he's an evangelist. He's a, a pastor's friend, is an evangelist. And, uh, and we so love Jason Stidham and his family. He is also uh, not only evangelist, they've uh, evangelized for many years, but he's also leads up the Acts 6-4 conference every year. It's going to be opened up again. He told me it's going to be opened up this January, middle of January 2022. We're excited about that, and uh, we are thrilled to have him leading. Uh, it used to be, I guess many years ago, it was Prayer and Bible Conference, and needed to do something in January there. But, boy, am I glad they call that Acts 6-4. I'm glad. Because, because we need to, to, uh, keep and hold on tightly to our Pentecostal heritage. And I know that he's not just a great preacher of the word. He's a spirit-filled leader, man of God and his family. And they, uh, are living in Texas. He's a Texan. And we don't hold that against him. Because I'm next door neighbors from Louisiana. But, uh, I have been in Missouri so long now, I almost feel like a Missourian uh in some way. At least I'm still a Tiger fan. You'll catch that after dinner, okay? <laughs> but uh Missouri Tigers did well last night, and I think they did. They went to I went to sleep. It was too boring baseball. But we're thankful for Jason. He has uh, called me, his family is here, and uh and when an evangelist calls or a missionary calls, a pastor ought to stop and take note that there is five fold ministry gift. An evangelist is a gift to the church. And I told Pastor Jason, I love you. I love your family. And uh, not only do we love him at Oak Grove, we've had him here before for revival. But um, I said, we just so happen to be on the topic of revival. So come and share with us the word of God. Jason said, and we love you. God bless you. And we honor you today. We honor you today. These these magazines on the pew up here or something we want to give you after service. Uh it's a, a Assembly God World Missions Magazine. So God bless you, buddy. You.
1: Well, good morning. It is good to see you on this winter day. We came from Texas and we don't know exactly what to make of this kind of weather. When we left it was eighty, eighty five, ninety, ninety-two, or three. Over the last few days, and we are here, we're going to vacation for a few days. And Tasha, my wife, is in a panic because all we packed for the kids are shorts. So we may be buying some clothing while we're in town. I, as well as the pastor, want to uh, express my appreciation to all of those on this Memorial Day weekend who have served. As he mentioned a moment ago, my wife, Tasha, served almost four years in the United States Army. She was in the original invasion of Iraq, Operation Operation Desert Storm, and then she served a few months in Somalia. So that's why when she says, take out the trash, I say, yes, ma'am, she's the boss. As well, we have Hagen Samuel, seated next to her, 14 years of age. Addison May, seated to my wife's right, is our daughter. She will be 11 on Tuesday. And then on the end, we have my brother's daughter, Aubrey May. Both of those young ladies have their middle names from my grandmother on my father's side. And my brother pastors just outside of Tulsa, and we stopped yesterday to pick Aubrey up so that they could spend a little extra time together. Let me tell you something about Addison. If you'll help me to make sure that she's paying attention during the service, we were preaching a camp meeting just a few weeks ago in Bossier City, Louisiana. Myself, Evangelist Creston Tomlin, and uh, the general overseer of the Church of God, Dr. Tim Hill. So on the night that Tim was preaching, I looked over to Addison, and she had her head laying on her mother's shoulder, half awake, half asleep. And Tim, as he often does in the middle of his sermon, stopped and said, I can't tell if I'm mad or anointed to which I looked as Addison popped up and said something, and the entire row burst out laughing. My wife lays over in the pew. The pastor's wife is hysteric, and I said, what did she say? So after the service, I said, when Tim said that he could not tell if he was mad or anointed, what did Addison say? Tasha said she quickly awakened and said, Mom, that man just said he can't tell if he's a man or a woman. I can promise you I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that with the General Overseer of the Church of God. Turn with me or look with me on your smart devices this morning at the book of Acts, chapter nine. While you're looking there, let me say it's so good to have the cars in service. Yesterday was their 57th wedding anniversary. 57 years. That's amazing. It's also good to have our former Assistant General Superintendent Alton Garrison is a good friend and a mentor to me. And if there's one thing that I've learned from Brother Garrison is that we should never stop learning. He tells me that constantly. We never stop learning. He is a lifetime learner. And he is instructing and mentoring me to be a lifetime learner. And he is a great preacher of the gospel. I should be Seated, and he should be preaching today. But I appreciate him being here, Pastor. Thank you, and your lovely wife for hosting us. And this was not scheduled, but your pastor, as he mentioned a moment ago, has an understanding and a and an appreciation for the office of the evangelist. I appreciate his leadership at this church. I appreciate their friendship. Appreciate their support of the Acts Six Four Conference that I will mention more about momentarily, but I appreciate their friendship. The one thing I love about Pastor Ron, it doesn't matter how many weeks or months since we've last spoken, when we have that next phone call or that next in-person meeting, it's just like we talked yesterday. There's no gap calls by time. They are so approachable and so relational, and you should be very thankful to have pastors That are truly tangible people that can be touched and are willing to reach out and touch you as a congregation. As Pastor said, we will be having the Acts 6-4 conference again this year. We had to cancel last year due to the pandemic. January 4, 5, and 6. And on the opening night, we plan something that to my knowledge will be historical. We're going to be having all of our superintendents preaching simultaneously on the same evening. You're going to have Thomas Trask, George O. Wood, and Doug Clay. And I don't think anything like that, again, to my knowledge, has ever been done. They're going to be preaching about a 25 to 30-minute segment apiece, and you're going to want to tune in if you're not there in person. Acts chapter 9. I want to begin reading with verse number 10, Acts 9, verse 10. A disciple named Ananias, reading from the modern English version, was in Damascus.
2: The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise. And go to Straight Street
1: and inquire at Judas's house for someone named Saul of Tarsus. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might see again. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How many evil things he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. and Here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go your way. For this man is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Then Ananias went his way and entered the house. Putting his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you came, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And he rose up and was baptized. I want to use for a few moments this morning as my subject, preaching and teaching, navigating the realm of risk. Navigating the realm of risk. And recognize with me that risk and faith are really interchangeable terminology. Anything that you do in the kingdom of God that will take faith, will cause you to take a measured risk, navigating the realm of risk. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for this great church. We thank you for these people who by their presence in this sanctuary on this holiday weekend are expressing a hunger and desire for more of you. I thank you for our friends that have gathered here. Now I'm asking again, as I have asked countless times, for clarity of thought and conciseness of speech, that I might rightly communicate the truths of the sacred script. And I also ask that by way of your spirit, you capture the attention of every listener. and Let faith rise in this house. Let us step out and take greater risk for the sake of the kingdom than we have ever thought possible. We'll ask it in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you, number one, I'm not here with all of the answers. I have traveled now across the nation for 22-plus years, and the more that I learn, the more I recognize how much I need to learn some time ago, the Lord delivered to me a personal challenge. I'm going to share that with you momentarily. What I want you to know, first and foremost, that I myself am still navigating what that personal challenge means and how I am to fulfill the charge that I feel the Lord delivered to me. Number two. I believe that the Lord not only has personally challenged me, but that he has developed this personal challenge into a corporate challenge that I am preaching in virtually every ministry setting the Lord allows me to be in. In a time of meditation, in a time of simply thinking on the things above the Lord spoke something into my spirit, and that something was this. He said, I want
2: you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? In 22 years,
1: I have seen a measure of success in ministry. As Pastor mentioned to you, we're out approximately 45 weeks of the year in churches of every size and stripe and style. I am a co founder and the chairman of the Act 6 4 conference. I am actively and constantly engaged with all of the machinery of both the assemblies of God, the church of God, independent structures. I think I've had at least a modicum of success, but yet I feel that God is telling me there is so much more for you to engage and be involved in. I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. As I meditated on that challenge and held it internally for a number of weeks, the Lord developed it beyond just a personal challenge to now the corporate challenge where I can communicate to you without any fear of trepidation or contradiction that not only is the Spirit of God asking of me to take greater risk for the sake of the kingdom, but he's asking each and every one of you to take greater risk for the sake of the kingdom.
2: God wants you and I to risk more. For the sake of heaven. Then the Lord led me
1: to a scriptural and spiritual pattern that I'm going to walk you through here in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. I had never preached this subject matter. I had never broached the subject matter. But all of the sudden it was as though this scriptural outline and these principles elevated from the page and God began to show me how to successfully navigate the realm of risk. I'm going to share it with you quickly this morning, okay? Number one, if you and I are going to successfully navigate the uncharted waters of risk, we must first be willing to leave the safety of the harbor called routine. Thank you for those hearty amens. I said, we must first be willing to leave the safety of the harbor called routine. Recognize with me this morning that routine and risk are polar opposites. Routine is the antithesis of risk. If you maintain routine, you will never engage in taking a risk.
2: And you and I as human beings, We so readily, all of us, so readily return to routine for two primary reasons. Number one, we all
1: repudiate change. Say amen. I'm talking to you this morning. Everyone here rejects change. None of us like change. Some of you are uncomfortable because I'm preaching this morning and the pastor's not preaching and that's change and you don't like me and you don't like this. And
2: (laughs) I understand that. We all refuse, reject, and repudiate change. But change is necessary. Say amen. Change is necessary. And there is one thing constant in this life. Change. Nothing remains the same. One of the
1: greatest illustrations concerning change that I have used countless times in ministry is the story of an elderly gentleman that turned 100 years of age.
2: A local newspaper dispatched a reporter to cover this man's century of living.
1: The newspaper reporter sat across the table from this elderly gentleman and said to him, sir, I can only imagine that in 100 years of living, you have personally witnessed countless changes. The elderly gentleman responded and said, yes, son, I have. And he said, I want to go on record right here in this newspaper article that I was against each and every one of
2: them. We repudiate change. Number two, we so readily return to routine, not only because we repudiate change, but we relish our comfort. As long as we continue to relish comfort, we will never successfully engage in taking greater
1: risk for the sake of the kingdom. God has been personally convicting this evangelist saying to me, if what you are doing causes you no discomfort, you can bet it is not in faith. Yes, sir. As long as I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing, as long as I'm comfortable praying how I'm praying, as long as I'm comfortable giving how I'm giving, I can be assured that faith is not necessary. But when it begins to cause me discomfort, come on saints, when it begins to cause me discomfort and push me further than I've ever gone before, I'm now entering into the realm of risk. As long as we maintain the safety, of the harbor of routine, we will never successfully navigate
2: the uncharted waters of the realm called risk. Hear me, saints of God. Hear me, Oak Grove Assembly of God. If we don't change the culture and the climate of our church services, we will die we have become far too predictable. Back in the fall of the year, the Oklahoma Sooners
1: came to Dallas to play my beloved Texas Longhorns. I had a Texas Longhorn shirt on yesterday. I stopped in downtown Tulsa to fuel our automobile, and when I was fueling the automobile, a gentleman saw my shirt, and I looked over at him, and he flashed me the hook'em horn sign. I said, man, that makes me feel like I'm in Texas almost. I love to attend that game annually if I can, the Red River Shootout. At least that's what we used to call it. I grew up calling it the Red River Shootout. Then it became politically incorrect to use the term shootout. So now we call it the Red River Rivalry. Can I just stop here and say people are stupid? This cancel culture, woke culture, craziness, come on. Red River Shootout. Red River Rivalry. But I love a bargain. I just can't stand spending a dime more than I have to spend. So I would not purchase tickets. They were only going to allow 20,000 people into the Cotton Bowl on the Dallas fairgrounds. And I watched the tickets all week long, and they just descended and declined and descended and declined. And I would awaken at 1, 2, 3 a.m. on Friday night. The game kicks off at 11 a.m., Saturday morning. Finally, about 6.37 a.m., I found four tickets,
2: 16 rows from the field, on the Texas end zone for the price of what one
1: ticket normally cost in that same section of the field. I said, that's a buy, four for the price of one. I'll take it. I had Tasha, awaken and Hagen, and Addison, and we went to the game. It was 93 degrees. Where are you going with this? I'm talking about predictability being our problem. We went to that game with 20 1,000 fans, and it was 93 degrees of smoking hot that afternoon. I watched as the offense of the Texas Longhorns sputtered out in the second half. We scored no points. Oklahoma was well in control of the game. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. They stopped us again. We were going to pump the ball away, and I looked at my family and said, We can leave now. This game is over.
2: Addison said, Dad, let's go home. It's hot. So we exited the stadium. We made the long trek back across the
1: fairgrounds, walked across the street toward the parking lot, and there's a restaurant across the street with a big screen television on the patio. And I noticed a number of Texas fans gathered around that television. So I walked up to see what they were gazing at, only to discover that since we had left, Texas stopped OU, OU punted to Texas, Texas scored a touchdown. They kicked off to OU, they have now stopped OU again, and they are about to pump the ball back to Texas with some 45, 50 seconds left in the game, giving us an opportunity to tie. I looked at Tasha and said, let's run back into the stadium.
2: She said, absolutely not, we have digital tickets, they're not going to let us back in the gate, we're not going back. They played, and they tied
1: the game in those 45 seconds. God is my witness. They played one overtime. They played two overtimes. They played three overtimes. They played four overtimes, and all four overtimes were played in the end zone in which I had my ticket 16 rows from the field. My wife looked at me on the way home and said, Sir, I
2: want you to know one thing. You." are an idiot. (laughs) But I left there that day with a revelation and knowledge concerning
1: expectation and concerning predictability. You know, for years, we preachers have maligned and called out the carnality of people that attend these sporting venues by the tens of thousands and yet we look around in a sanctuary like this and there's so much vacancy. But I believe God spoke to me on that particular day and said, do you know why these people pack these sporting venues? They come here because they do not know what the conclusion of the event will be prior to the event's beginning. They come here because they don't know, will Texas win or will Oklahoma win? Will it be a low-scoring defensive standoff or will it be a high-scoring offensive shootout? They don't know if their favorite players will have a day where they set statistical records, or will they have a day where they are broken and crumbled and humbled? Nobody knows what the conclusion will be. That's why they show up in mass. And I feel like the Lord said to me, do you know why people are, are absent themselves from the house of God? Because they know what the conclusion of the church service will be before the church service ever begins. Come on, saints. I said, come on. God convicted me personally and said, how is it that for 22 years you have crisscrossed this nation and proclaimed to people that I am a God that can do anything, yet you have trapped me 52 Sundays out of the year into doing the same thing? We must leave the realm of routine and engage The uncharted waters called risk. Number two. Not only must we leave and depart from the safety of the harbor of routine, but we must recognize that God wants to reveal himself to us and through us. I'm parsing my words carefully. First, he wants to reveal himself to you and I so that he might then lead him or reveal himself through you and I. It's impossible to lead people to a place that you yourself have never traveled. Now, there are two primary tools of revelation. I'm not going to spend time on the first, but the first is the written revelation of God's word. The word that we open this particular sermon with, it is the authoritative rule of faith and conduct in the life of every believer. I said it's the authoritative rule. It is the final word that rules our everyday action. The word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What are you saying, evangelist? I'm saying if you want to know something about God, if you want God to reveal something about himself to you, turn off Fox News, turn off, God forbid, CNN. Turn off NBC and ABC and CBS. Turn off social media and look to the written word of God and God will reveal himself to you so that he might reveal himself through you. But number two, there's a second primary tool of revelation that God uses and it's found right here in our text. Notice in the latter portion of verse 10, the Lord said to him, how? In a vision. He did not say to him in the written word. He did not say to him through the recorded expressions of the Old Testament prophets. How did he speak to Ananias? He spoke to him supernaturally in a vision. Thank God I'm preaching in a church this morning that not only believes in the written revelation of God's word, but I think Oak Grove still believes that we serve a God who wants to supernaturally reveal himself to you and I through the third person of the Godhead, that being the Holy Spirit. We still believe in signs and wonders and the miraculous I said, we still believe in signs and wonders and the miraculous operations of the Spirit. We still believe in the nine gifts of the Spirit and those manifestations. And God is revealing himself in this prophetic hour, not only through his written word, but through these supernatural manifestations. Understand with me this morning, before we move to point number three, that there are people all around this globe that do not have access to the written word of God. Their governments forbid any of the written word of God to be inside the boundaries of their nation. But can I tell you that God is revealing himself. The Lord Jesus is revealing himself in dreams and in visions so that Muslims and people of other religions and people of no religion are coming to a revelation of who our God is in this very hour. So we leave the realm of routine and we recognize that God wants to reveal himself to us And through us. Number three, notice with me
2: in the text. That God wants to reveal himself to and through regular people. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Notice with me who God is going to
1: work through in this particular text. And before we take note of who God is going to work through, let's look at the context of the ninth chapter and see who God is dealing with. The first nine verses of this ninth chapter of the book of Acts are telling us about a man, Saul of Tarsus. Who is Saul of Tarsus? Saul of Tarsus is one of the most educated men of his time. He is not only an intellectual among intellectuals, he's a Hebrew among the Hebrews by his own personal testimony. He is
2: an elite. He is an influencer. He has affluence, he has network, he has power. And this man
1: has chosen to make it his personal mission to rid the world
2: of the scourge Christianity, as he would consider it. Christianity, which was polluting the Jewish traditions in the mind,
1: at least, of Saul. This is the man who will oversee the execution of Stephen, the first martyr of the faith. And here in the first few verses of this ninth chapter, we're going to read where the Lord will personally confront Saul on the road to Damascus. Now, I don't know if you study the Bible the way that I study the Bible, but I ask myself all kinds of questions when I'm studying the scriptures. And I have wondered why. Did God engage Saul personally? This is such a radical record of transformation. I mean, many of you are saved, I'm sure, in different scenarios here this morning, but I dare say no one here personally encountered the Lord Jesus on the road. Why did he confront this man so radically? i believe it had to happen because i believe that saul had the network the power the influence the intellect that he would ha- he would have been successful he would have snuffed new testament christianity out in its infancy if god had not directly intervened that's my personal opinion you may not agree with that i'll i will tell you as i have told countless people in my travels i will never deny you your right to be wrong never 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 This is a free country. If you want to be wrong, you can be wrong. (laughs) God directly intervenes. He blinds the man. He engages him in conversation. Why do you kick against the pricks? I don't even know who I'm talking to, Saul says. Who is this? I'm the Lord Jesus whom you persecute. You have this vendetta out against me. And there's this radical transformation so that now he goes into Damascus, into the home of a man by the name of Judas, on a street called Straight, and God is going to speak to Ananias to go and lay his hands upon this man and pray for him that he might recover his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this man is, of course, going to become to us Paul the Apostle. He's going to write approximately half the New Testament. He's going to unveil through his writings the meaning of the New Covenant, and he's going to become the chief among the apostles. Did you catch what I just said? That is a powerful trio. He's going to write approximately half the New Testament, unveil the meaning of the New Covenant, and become the chief among the apostles. Now, if I were the Lord, let me just stop here and say, you better thank God that this long, lanky Texan is not the Lord. But if I were the Lord... I would not have chosen Ananias to go and pray for this man. If I were the Lord and I'm going to have someone go and pray for a man who's going to write half the New Testament, unveil the meaning of the new covenant, and become the chief among my apostles, do you know who I would have chosen to go pray for this man? It seems very logical to me. I would have chosen Peter, James, and John. My three closest comrades, my inner circle, the elite, the best that I have. I mean, if you guys, listen, this man is his network. This man is influential. This man is intelligent. If I'm going to send somebody to pray for this man, I'm sending the three best
2: I have. If I don't send this, this terrific trio, I would at least have sent two of them or one of them. John, my beloved disciple. But that's not what the Lord did, is it? I said, that's not what the Lord did. Why? Because the Lord isn't like me. Y'all say amen.
1: That's a good place to shout right there. The Lord isn't like me. I've got news for you. Guess what? The Lord isn't like you either. The Lord isn't like us at all. What did Isaiah say? His ways and his thoughts are as high and elevated above our ways and thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. And the Lord didn't send any of these well-known apostolic commodities. No, who did the Lord send? A man by the name of Ananias. Now the question begs to be asked, who is Ananias? Here's the answer. That's a great question. We don't know. The Bible says precious little about this man. He is introduced to us here in Acts 9. There are only a few verses that record anything about him. And then later in the book of Acts 21, where Paul is giving his personal testimony, he will reference Ananias again. But there's precious little information revealed about this man. The King James calls it this way. He was a certain disciple. Hallelujah. Listen to me, saints. God wants to work through Peter and James and John. God wants to work through people who are recognized and are household commodities. God wants to work through televangelists and God wants to work through denominational leadership. God wants to work through names that everybody knows and everybody recognizes, but that's not the only people that God wants to work through. I said, those are not the only people that God wants to work through. God wants to work through superstars, but God wants to work through regular people, just like each and every one of you this morning, to do irregular things for the kingdom of God. He must use regular people. And he uses this man by the name of Ananias. And he's going to ask Ananias to step out in faith and take a risk. So we move on to the next point, routine. God is revealing himself to us and through us. Point number three, God wants to use regular people. Point number
2: four, there must be a readiness among regular people to hear and respond. I said there must be a
1: readiness in regular people to hear and respond to the request of risk. Notice with me in the text. This is quite interesting to me. If you still have your Bible or you still have your smart device, look with me at verse number four of the ninth chapter. Notice with me how the Lord Jesus beckons for the
2: attention of Saul. In the latter portion of verse four, he says, Saul, Saul. And then let us draw a dichotomy, let us run a parallel with the fourth verse with how the Lord
1: now beckons for the attention of Ananias in verse 10. He simply says,
2: Ananias, hallelujah. You see these, these two knuckleheads on the front row seated next to my wife?
1: These two children, there are times... I, let me just stop here. Let me just stop here and say that when this service is over, I need to spank Addison. Did you see what she just did? I'm pointing out two knuckleheads, those being my children. Hagen and Addison. Addison's pointing to her cousin Aubrey. <laughs> there are times that I call for their attention. There are times that I beckon for their attention. There are times that their mother beckons for their attention. And we call them like this.
2: Hagen. Hagen Samuel. No, y'all still not with me. Every parent, every grandparent in the room,
1: get with me right here. We say things like Addison. Addison May. Now please understand, there is nothing wrong
2: with the physical hearing of our children. They hear well. There's nothing wrong with their hearing. There are times when there's something wrong with their listening.
1: Hearing and listening are two different things. Come on, saints. And there are times their hearing works well, but their listening is faltering. And I beckon for their attention. I recognize they're not in a position to hear and listen to my command. So I have to get their attention. Can I tell you that's why God had to call Saul's names twice. Saul was in no position to hear the voice of the Lord. I said Saul was not listening. So God had to get his attention. But thankfully, Ananias was not such a man. I said, he was not such a man. He had an ear to hear what the Spirit of God was saying to him. So that all that God had to do was say Ananias. And he said, what, Lord? Here I am. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Some of you sit here today and you say, evangelist, I don't know why God has not challenged me to take a greater risk for the sake of the kingdom. Might it be that God has tried to challenge you? You're just not listening. We must all turn our ears attuned to heaven and hear what God is saying. Let me, let me, let me illustrate this for you. I I know, I know I'm supposed to be on vacation, but I just enjoy preaching. John chapter 20, let me show you something quickly. Turn there with me. It's just a few chapters back from our chief text. John chapter 20, while you're turning there, I'll set the context for you. Jesus has now resurrected from the dead. He's making his self known to his disciples. I'm talking about hearing the voice of God. Verse number 11, John 20, but Mary stood outside at the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have put him. Verse 14, When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Man, that's interesting to me. I said, That is so interesting to me. So she sees the appearance of the resurrected Lord, but yet she does not recognize him as the Lord. Can I tell you that's why the Bible doesn't say he that has an eye, let him see what the spirit is doing because your eyes will lead you astray. Sight will lead you astray. No, the Bible clearly says he that has an ear, let him hear. Why? Because the ear is directly connected to the spirit of man. Listen to me. The ear, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And hearing is the pathway to the soul or the spirit of man. And she sees Jesus, but does not recognize that it's Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Preachers, here's a sermon for you, man. This is, this will preach. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Listen, that's the problem with living by sight. Sight will cause you to make suppositions that are incorrect. Sight, things that you see will cause you to make suppositions that are incorrect. She sees Jesus, does not recognize him as Jesus, but supposes what she sees is the gardener. Interesting, isn't it? She's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, notice this, Mary, one time. She sees him and does not recognize him, makes a false supposition. Now Jesus calls her name one time. And when she hears her name called once, what was her response? She turned to him immediately and said, Rabboni, teacher, master, Lord, it's you. All because she had an ear that was attuned to what the spirit of God was saying. So we leave the realm of routine. We recognize that God is revealing himself to us and through us. We see that God wants to work through regular people. Regular people must have a readiness to respond. Point number five, we must receive only corroborated revelation. Receive only corroborated revelation. Notice as the Lord speaks and challenges Ananias to step out into the realm of risk. He says to him in verse 11, I want you to arise, go to Straight Street, find the home of Judas, look for a man named Saul of Tarsus, for he is praying. Now catch that. He is praying and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might see again. Isn't this interesting? Ananias is having what? A vision. From God. And as Ananias is having a vision from God, God says to Ananias in the vision, right now Saul is
2: in this city praying on a street called Straight in the home of Judas, and he's having a vision. If
1: I understand, a blind man is seeing in this particular text. He's physically blind, but he's having vision. Hallelujah. And he sees Ananias coming in and praying for him. So God is working where? On all sides of the equation. Pastor mentioned to you, I referenced it a few moments ago, the Acts 6-4 conference. We have 1,500 to 2,000 annual attendees. Most of them are directly connected to ministry of some kind. And every year I try to encourage the attendees. We release you into ministry. We are not trying to bottleneck all ministry to the platform or to the pulpit. If you are here in attendance and you feel that God has given you a word, God has given you a prophecy, God has given you edification instruction for someone, we release you. Go to that person and speak it. Go to that person and engage in that ministry. But that's only one side of the coin. Because we also instruct and say to those in attendance, if someone comes to you with a word of prophecy, a word of edification, a word of instruction, whatever it might be, and there is no cooperative evidence. What are you saying? I'm saying if somebody comes to you and says you should sell everything that you own and move to Africa
2: and start a missions work, that's great. As long as God has already been dealing with you, about moving
1: to Africa and starting a missions trip. If it's the first that you've ever heard of it, I encourage that congregation to reject such revelation. Come on, saints. Because when the Spirit of the Lord is moving and operating in the realm of faith or this realm that we call risk, He works on everybody. He works on all sides of the equation and we are to receive only corroborated revelation. If you'll put this Formula to practice, I'm telling you, you will accomplish more in the days ahead for the kingdom of God. This will teach you how to successfully navigate the realm of faith. Next, notice the response of Ananias. Notice verse number 13. I love this. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How many evil things he's done to the saints of Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to buy Bind all who
2: call on your name. Do you see what Ananias did right there? Come on, read the Bible with the the drama that that it has. Who is the man that God is asking him to pray for? He is the leading persecutor of the church. The man that's influenced and powerful and intellectual and networked. and,
1: And God says, I want you to go pray for this man. And what does Ananias respond and say? Come on, saints. Ananias says, Lord, I know this man. Are you sure you know this man? Come on. He begins to engage the request for risk by using his human reason. Come on. He begins to reason in his mind. Is this risk of God? We've got people in every church that are super spiritual and they would say things like, if God ever requests you to take a risk,
2: don't stop, don't think, just step out and do it. Immediately obey the voice of the Lord.
1: Somebody has that attitude. If somebody makes that kind of statement, do you know what it tells me? It tells me one thing about that person. God has never asked them to do anything. Come on, saints, because when God asks you to do something, your first instinct is not going to be immediate obedience. Your first instinct is going to be, whoa, whoa, whoa hold the train, man. Is this God? Is this the devil? Is this the pizza I ate at 1 a.m. this morning? What exactly is this? Where is this request coming from? And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I encourage that. Use your
2: human reason. God gave us a brain. We should use it. Common sense.
1: There has been many things done in the name of Pentecost. There have been many things done and said that were supposedly of the Spirit of God that brought confusion and brought shame and brought reproach, and it could have all been avoided if somebody would have just slowed down and thought for a second. Come on, saints. So we should use human reason. We should weigh it out. Is this God? Is this not God? Is this the devil? Is this not the devil? Is this me? Is this not me? Where is this uh, originating from? And we weigh it out. God has no problem with that at all. I think God wants us to do that. And notice the response that God gives in verse number 15 to Ananias using reason in verses 13 and 14. The Lord said to him, go your way, for he's a chosen vessel to me. God gives the instructions again. Listen, as you and I slow down and we use reason to weigh out the risk that God is requesting us to take, Do you know what the tool is that the divine uses
2: to assure us that it is his instruction? It's my favorite tool, repetition, repetition, repetition is your best teacher. We homeschool our children. Addison has heard
1: me say this so many times. Repetition is your best teacher. I said, repetition is your best teacher. I said, repetition is your best teacher. teacher." i said repetition is your best teacher and god will repeat the instruction god will repeat the request for risk hear me if you, the if the request for risk only came once and you never heard it again it was not from god Let me just help a few people here. Let me take a little side trip right quick. There are people that live under condemnation, people that live under unnecessary guilt. They feel like they missed God. They feel like God told them to do something. God told them to marry someone. God told them to engage in ministry. God told them to give in an offering, and they did not obey. The request came, and they did not immediately execute, and they've lived for years under condemnation. But if that request only came once and passed, by, you should not live under condemnation because that request did not come from God because God does not remind mind repeating himself. You better be thankful. God doesn't remind repeating himself and God repeated the instruction. And when God repeated the instruction, it gave Ananias the encouragement. It gave him the confirmation that he needed. He knew when it came the second time, this request is from God. So what was the response of Ananias? to the tool of repetition. He stood up and did what? He stood up and did exactly what God had requested him to do. Verse number 17, Then Ananias went his way. He entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul. Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the way that you came, has sent me that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He went and executed. He went and released. Hear this evangelist this morning. I encourage you to pause. I encourage you to step on the brakes. I encourage you to use reason and weigh it out is this god is this not god but once you have repetition once you have the voice of the lord repeating itself there must come a point in this entire formula that you make up your mind and stand up and put on your big boy britches and execute what god has asked you to do god's not going to do it all that's a good place to say amen God's not going to do it all. You and I have to do something. As a matter of fact, was that not the instructions of the mother of our Lord on the occasion of his first miracle at the marriage feast of Cana? What did she say to those servants that were standing by? Whatever he says, do it. Come on, saints. Whatever he says, do it. You see, it should never be a matter of will I or will I not do what he says. That should never be our question. I said, that should never be our question. The question should be, is this the Lord saying? And once we have the assurance, this is the Lord saying, then do exactly as he has said. And he released, he stood up and he executed. He carried out the commandment of the Lord. He took the risk that God required of him. And what was the end result? He will receive a reward. I said he will receive a reward. What reward did Ananias receive? I mentioned it to you just a moment ago. I told you that the Bible says precious little about Ananias, but here's the other side of that coin. But the Bible does say something about Ananias. I said the Bible does say something. That's his reward. Throughout time and eternity, the name of Ananias and the record of his obedience and willingness to take a risk at God's request will forever be in the sacred text. Did you get that? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away, and it serves as a trophy. It serves as a mark. It serves as a reward. He will always be remembered for being willing to take a
2: risk for the sake of the kingdom. Now, let me give you a couple of other things quickly before I close. What would have happened if Ananias had refused to take the risk? He could have. We are free moral agents. You do recognize that Ananias could have said, I'm not going to do it. It's too dangerous. Too risky. He may be there, he may not. If I go, it could be a trap. I may be jailed. He could kill me as he killed Stephen. Come on, saints. I'm not going to the street called straight. I'm going to go to the street called crooked. I'm not going to do it. What would have happened if he had refused? Here's what would have happened God would have replaced him. God would have replaced him. You see, God wants regular
1: people to be engaged. God wants to use each and every one of us in the realm of risk, in the realm of faith. But if you and I refuse to be a part, hear what I'm telling you. Hear what I'm telling you as individuals. Hear what I'm telling you as the corporate body of Oak Grove, Assembly of God. Hear what I'm telling you as a part of the greater body of the Assemblies of God. If you are this church or this fellowship, will not align with God and do what he wants, he will replace us and find somebody that will. God's going to accomplish what he wants accomplished, but he's got to find the people that are willing to engage and take risk. All right? Now, let me close with a little personal illustration to show you how I am personally trying to ascertain what is it that God wants from this evangelist what does God want from me? He wants me to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. Because here's here's the fact, what God's going to ask me to do most likely will not be what he asked you to do. But we can be assured of this, he's going to ask us all to do something. So some months ago, I'm in Germantown, Ohio, preaching at an independent Pentecostal church pastored by James Setzer at 175, 200 people Sunday night, at 250, 275 Sunday morning. Sunday night, we had a powerful altar time, 30 minutes of ministry, praying for people. People began to trickle back to their seats. I handed the microphone, the handheld, back to Pastor Setzer. He was standing behind the pulpit, and I marched off to my seat here on the front row,
2: and I picked up a bottle of water, and I turned it to my lips, and I heard a voice. It wasn't an audible voice. It
1: was the Spirit of God speaking to my spirit, and this is what I heard the voice say. The voice said to me,
2: take the microphone back from pastor and call a woman out of the audience named Jan. And I said to the voice, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Some of you are looking at me
1: saying, now, evangelist, you're not very spiritual. You've spent the last 45 minutes screaming and stomping and spitting and telling us that we should be people of faith and take risk. And now you're telling us that you don't even practice what you preach. I know. You see, I like it when God uses you in the realm of the supernatural and leaves me alone. And the truth of the matter is, you like it when God uses me in the realm of the supernatural and leaves you
2: alone. But guess what? I come to tell you today that God's not going to leave any of us alone. And the voice did something.
1: It's one of the points that I preached to you just a few moments ago. The voice repeated itself. The voice said, take the microphone from pastor and call a woman out by the name of Jan. And I said, God, don't make me do
2: that. It's my first time to preach here. I'd like to come back. I'm serious. And the voice repeated itself. You better thank God that he has no problem repeating himself. So finally, with great hesitation, I strolled back to the pulpit and I asked the pastor for the microphone.
1: And here's the strange thing. Pastor had never said one thing. He never tried to close the service. He never tried to take it in a different direction. He had stood there in silence. You want to know why? Because when the spirit of God is working, he works on all sides of the equation. I took the microphone and I was as transparent with that congregation as I am with you here this morning. That's one of my faults. I am too transparent. I said to them, folks, what I'm about to do makes me extremely uncomfortable. I said, I believe in this. I believe in the supernatural operation of the spirit, but I'm not the kind of guy that goes around week after week after week calling people out of the congregation and speaking over them. That's just not a gift that I work in with any frequency at all, but I said, I, I know this. The Spirit of God has clearly said to me that I am to call a woman out of this congregation by the name of Jan. I said, your name is Jan. Your name is Janet. Your name is Janice. I said, all I know is the root of your name is Jan, and I need
2: you to respond. You know what that congregation did? They did the same thing you're doing. They just sat there and looked at me. You know what I did? Let me tell you what I wanted
1: to do. I wanted to say, can any of you spell Jan here tonight? Now I'm hearing another little voice in my head. You know what the voice is now saying to me? It's saying this. Mayday, mayday, pull up, pull up.
2: I mean, I'm crashing and burning in front of almost 200 people. Now I try to help God. How many of you have ever tried to help God? I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe you're
1: not here tonight and your name's Jan, but maybe you have a daughter named Jan or a mother named Jan or a niece named Jan or maybe you have a dog or cat at home named Jan. Anybody here have that? And I look and there's there are two little ladies, both 75 to 80 years of age, are on the second row. God is my
2: witness. I look over and one of the little ladies raises her hand like this. And, I mean, I'm under such stress and pressure now. I mean, I'm like an auctioneer. You scratch your nose, I'm like, sold you right there. It's you. (laughs) I said, sis, what is it? She said, my name is Janice. Now, I've got a question. Why didn't Janice answer me the first time I called her? She could have
1: saved me a lot of stress. But I answer that question with another question. Why didn't I take the microphone from the pastor the first time the voice told me to do it? Why don't you do what
2: God asked you to do the first time? I'm grateful that God repeats himself. I said, sis, what is it?
1: She said, my name's Janice. And I said, you're the one. She came forward. God had a very special word and work that he did in her life, that the pastor testified to me about the impact of weeks later. Not only did that happen, but it led to a series of other events. The place literally exploded. We, the people began to run back to the altar and tarry for the next 45 minutes. It was explosive. Why are you telling us all this? I'm telling you all this to say I'm in the same boat that you're in. I'm trying to grasp what it is that God wants me to do.
2: But I am assured of this. He wants us all to take more risk for the sake of the kingdom.
1: Stand to your feet with me this morning across this congregation. Singers and musicians are coming to help me. Why don't you lift your hands and lift your hearts and lift your voices toward heaven with me for just a moment? Come on, for just a moment. Father, help us in the next few moments. Help us to take that which we have practically preached. These series of scriptural instructions and help us now to embed them into our minds, into our hearts, and into our spirits so that when we leave this place, we can hear and recognize and acknowledge that you are beckoning us away from our routine and you are calling us out into the realm of risk It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our ethnicity. It doesn't matter our gender. None of these things matter. You want to use us all in the realm of the supernatural. As this church continues to pursue revival, I believe this is an essential part. Let me say this to you, saints of God. And, and, and please, please hear and understand what I'm about to communicate. I understand people that have isolated because of COVID-19. I understand all of the protective practices that we have engaged in. I've done so. My parents have done so So. This is not to put any of that down at all. I'm saying that as a disclaimer right up front. Hear this evangelist. But there is a spirit in this present world. I believe it's the spirit of the Antichrist. And it is pushing at us from every direction. It is screaming in our ear. And you know what the message of that spirit is? Retreat. 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 Hide yourself. Retreat. Retreat. I'm here to say to you, that is not the voice of God. Retreat is not the way. Forward is the way. And in our lives, we're going to have to learn how to step out in faith and take some risk for the sake of the kingdom. How many of you would slip up a hand this morning and say, evangelist, I am willing to risk more for the sake of the kingdom of God. Listen, before you slip that hand up, hear what I'm saying to you. I don't know exactly what you're agreeing to. I don't know exactly what God's going to ask you to do. He may ask some of you to give more money than you've ever given. He may ask some of you to go places that you've never been. He may ask some of you to simply walk across the street and knock on a neighbor's door and share the gospel that you have not as much as spoken to in 10 years of living by that person. I don't know, but I know this. He's going to ask you to do something. Are you willing to do what he asks? Are you willing to take a risk? Everybody that is, come on, lift your hands toward heaven right now. I'm willing to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. Come on. All across this house, that's what the real spirit of revival is, is making ourselves available, making ourselves ready to hear and to respond to what the voice of the Lord is saying. Hands have gone up all over this place. I don't know what the practices are. I should have checked with the pastor before I did this. But everybody that's raised a hand, if you're comfortable coming to this altar, would you come and stand with me corporately for the next few moments and let me pray for you? Come on. Everybody that's willing to take a risk, if you're not comfortable coming forward, please don't do so. Stay right there. The Spirit of the Lord will minister to you. Come on. Come to this altar. Lift your hands and worship the Lord for just a moment in this atmosphere of faith. Come on, guys. Let's begin to sing as they come. Come on. Open your mouths, lift your hands, lift your hearts, make yourself
2: available. I said, make yourself available. That's all I'm challenging you to do.